Coming to you from Charm City, I'm Anthony. And I'm Cece. And this is Lit. Pop. Bang. Hey, we have a great show for you today. Welcome back, everybody. And welcome to our guest, Danny. What's up? Hey, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so glad you're back, too. Danny um, is a repeat, a repeat offender, as I like to call them here. Our <laughs> first, our first returning guest. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even. So, yes. Yeah, yes. our very first. We had Danny yes. on, listeners may remember, on our, our bookseller episode. And now we want to come back and just have a conversation with Danny about the work he does there, about his newest book and about his poetry. Um, yeah. So before we get to that, Cece, why don't you kick us off with an introduction? Awesome. Ready to do it. All right, here we go. Danny Kane is the author of Poetry Collections, Continental Breakfast by Mason Jar Press 2019, El Dorado Freddy's collaboration with Tara Ray, Belt Publishing 2020, and Flavortown, Harpoon Books 2020, and the book How to Resist Amazon and Why by Microcosm Publishing 2021. His poetry has appeared in Lit Hub, Diagram, Hobart, and Barrel House, and his prose has appeared in Lit Hub and Publishers Weekly. The Midwest Independent Booksellers Association awarded him the 2019 Midwest Bookseller of the Year. Yay! Award. <laughs> he lives in Lawrence, Lawrence, Kansas, where he owns Raven Bookstore. And he's here with us today, Danny Kane. Welcome. Thanks for joining us, Danny. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so you may remember, I think I think we asked this last time, but if not, I you may have did. heard it on the show before. But after your official bio, your website, artists, what they read at panels bio, we always like to ask guests, like, that's you on page. What's else something that is you? What is you that's not there in the bio? I don't think you asked me this last time. No? Oh, <laughs> great. Well, here we no, ask the first a, time. Awesome. Uh, it's a, a great question. Um I was just, this is what comes to mind right now. Um, I, I love dogs, but I don't currently oh. have any um, oh. through various combinations of, of circumstances. But like I have three cats in my care. I have a cat at home and two at the bookstore and no dogs. <laughs> that's, that's tragic. Danny. So like tragic. There, there are always these jokes that like, what would your 16 year old self say upon meeting the current you? And I'm pretty sure the 16 year old me would be like, why the hell do you have so many cats? What is wrong with you? <laughs> like, this isn't right. This is what yeah. we envisioned. Um, that's great. Cece, you want to start us off with talking about the new book, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what we're here to do today. Uh, first of all, Danny, congratulations on the book. Uh, yeah, I great. just read all of it last night. So, <laughs> so I have lots and lots of questions. But before we jump into the questions, I want to really just sort of ground our, our listeners in how this book came to fruition, how, how to resist Amazon sort of started um go from tweets to zine to book if you could give like a general kind of overview of how the book came yeah. to life right. i love telling this story because the whole thing was really kind of diy uh cool. and and it had a spirit of being um i don't know it was it's just a fun story so uh the raven um the raven bookstore which i own and run uh has yeah. long made a part of what it does talking about the importance of small businesses and advocating for businesses like the Raven and, right. and trying to educate people about the dangers of, of big corporations and corporate monopolies. And for a long time in the 90s, the, the Raven was having that conversation about big bookstore chains. 
Uh, and now, uh, of course, the the big elephant in the room is Amazon rather than the bookstore chains. And so we've right. transitioned what we talked to about uh, to that, and we've transitioned how we talk about it from talking in store and, and to newspaper reporters to social media and, yeah. and kind of taking that online. And so a couple of years ago, uh, some tweets from the Raven uh, gained a lot of attention and got got picked up and written about in, in national media. Um, and some some friends were began encouraging me to put together a zine of, mm-hmm. of the Amazon stuff. And right. one friend, uh, Ben Cartwright, who lives in Spokane, and he and, and his home bookstore, which is Auntie's bookstore in Spokane, we're kind of talking about like, wouldn't it be great if there was just something we could hand a customer that was like how to unplug from Amazon. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Suzanne, uh, who runs Max Backs Books in Cleveland, um, saw this letter I posted to Jeff Bezos online and was like, you need to make a broadside out of this so I can sell it to my customers. And those two ideas kind of combined into a zine called How to Resist Amazon and Why, mm. which I was self-publishing uh, and, and self-distributing for um, the first month or so. Um, to the tune of thousands of zines where it was taking <laughs> amazing over, taking over <laughs> right. my life and it was exactly it, most evenings I was at <laughs> home with a long arm stapler at my dining room table just doing another stack of 250 crazy uh, we couldn't keep them in stock at the Raven and, and more and more bookstores were interested in carrying them and so Microcosm Press out of Portland which is this cool uh, punk yeah. kind of zine and, and book press uh, reached out to me um, at the time when I needed the most help and they were like, we want to sign you to a non-exclusive contract. So we'll distribute a version of this zine. You can keep going with your self-published one if you want. And it was, I was super thankful uh, for the mm. help. And also I really admired, they're maybe the only publisher in the United States who won't sell to Amazon. They don't have mm. a direct relationship to Amazon. Mm. Um, and, and they've made a conscious effort to unplug. And so they were a great fit for the project. And they, um, that was in October 2019 when they picked it up. Um, they went through the first printing, I think, of 5,000 in a month or two. Wow. Uh, and by the time they were doing the reprint, they were like, well, this is, people are so interested in this. This could be a book if you want to do it. Um, and we went back and forth a little bit about what the book would look like, but then we settled on, on this kind of tiny paperback that's a mix of research-based adv- advocacy and anecdote-based um, small business charm. Yeah. And uh, I spent last year writing it, and here it is. And here it's it is. Yeah, so, like, I'm a poet. Like, I've... I've um, <laughs> I never <laughs> thought I would write a, I would never thought I would write a book like this, but it just yeah. kind of happened that way, and I'm proud of it, and I'm really happy to work with Microcosm. Yeah. Um, so it's it's as surprising to me as anybody else, but I'm happy to be part of this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, I and think the, you know. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'll say, and the conversation is really lucky to have you too. Like one of the things um, I was reading about is like how you sort of, uh, and we talked about this a bit on the last episode. You sort of fell into being a bookstore owner, and I really yeah. love the idea of like you as a poet who sort of fell into this have become a, a major voice in in among booksellers and now among like just what creating and sharing books in the 21st century looks like. Yeah. I've just, my, when people started paying attention to what the Raven was saying and what the tweets were, were doing, I, I just was like, I can't waste this platform. If I have, if I'm lucky enough and privileged enough to have a platform and people listening to me, I need to use it for good. 
And okay. the the immediate cause that we attached ourselves to was just an extension of what the Raven has always done. And so we've always said this stuff. Let's just say it louder to a bigger audience and I'll do yeah. what I can to push this dialogue forward. That's yeah. so rad. Yeah, totally. Danny, I have a question that's going to sound a bit like I'm I'm pushing against the grain here, but believe you me, I'm on the same side, but I want to really know, um, you know, when I read through this, like I said, um, let me first say that a lot of the information I did not know actually reading the book. So I'm thankful for that. I mean, uh, some of the bigger overground things I knew about how, um, Amazon, you know, uh, gets third party vendors to handle its delivery. And, you know, there were things that I knew. And then there were things that I did not about like Amazon owning these, uh, you know, ring cameras that are at the doors of, you know, of people's houses. So there was a lot of information that I that I didn't know. But one of the things I, I felt when reading this book is like I'm on the same side as you are. I'm definitely a person who like goes to a local farmer's market, uh, believes in supporting my local bookstore. Right. But what about people who are out there who are just like not not that community oriented, not that interested in um, getting into politics. I mean, because a lot of this is really politics, right? I mean, I'm not politics on the big scale level, but it's really about, um, you know, the health and wealth of society in, a, in an interesting sort of way, right? So I'm interested in how do you approach or how do you get that person who never thinks about this kind of thing, who who isn't sad when their local mom and pop coffee shop goes out of business, right? Because it's a certain kind of like, there's a certain characteristic, I think, to the person who reads this book and says yes, right? You understand what I'm saying? But I'm more interested in how you're going to bring in or how you're going to lure people who um, sit on the outside of this sort of issue or say to themselves, hey, you know, Amazon delivers my boxes. I'm really happy with that. I don't know why I need to be concerned about um, exclusive rights on books or, you know, if they ban me from getting my latest Margaret Atwood or yada, yada. How do you do that? <laughs> what, how do you, you know what I mean? How do you convince that person? It's a really good question. I don't think anyone's asked me that yet. Um, and I think what I will say, this might sound like a dodge, but um, I, I hesitate to pin all of the responsibility for fixing Amazon on the individual consumer. Okay. Um, and okay. This is a government problem with a government solution. And mm. I think the main, the, the question is not why does Amazon do this? That has a clear answer. They do this because they're allowed to, and they, right. they can make a ton of money doing it. And Jeff Bezos is clearly someone who's just interested in making as much money as possible. Right. Uh, the, the more interesting question and the question I think we need to spend time on is why have they been allowed to do this? And that's mm. where the government comes in and that's mm. where the solution is going to come. Uh, so, hmm. um, I, I have unplugged from Amazon completely right. and that's a, a for two a, years, right? For two, yeah. that's what the book says for two years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a value-based decision. That's a political decision on my part. And that's a decision about me trying to spend money at places that reflect my own personal values. Hmm. Um, but I don't think I'm punishing Amazon by withdrawing my money. It's, it makes no difference to them. Like statistically, right. it's such a small drop in the bucket. Uh, it's more about the things I value and the places I want to support. Um, to fix Amazon, there needs to be policy level uh, mm. action. And, yeah. and so the, um, the question of the people who like Amazon and use it and don't care about the small businesses closing in their town, what do you do? I think you call the people who represent them in Washington, D.C. and in <laughs> City Hall uh, and, and try to get them to rein in um, corporate overreach and monopolies. Mm. Yeah, hmm. that's amazing. That wow. actually leads to something that was on my list. I wasn't sure I was going to ask, but it seems hmm. like the perfect time. Hmm. Um, you had this really great write-up in The New Yorker, and um, it's a long read that really talks about what you're doing 
both in the book and in the store. Um, and you mentioned um, the ideas from books from uh, Matt Stoller um, and David Dayan. Um, and them talking about how Amazon has a legislative advantage mm-hmm. over bookstore, independent yeah. bookstores. And you talk about, you know, we can all imagine, like Cece said, like, we know they have a distribution advantage and a marketing advantage. But can you tell us more about what sort of legislative advantages they have over indies? Yeah. Uh, and this is really important um, because the the legislative solutions aren't that hard. It's what it would, you know, uh, Vigorous enforcement of laws we already have would go a long way. This is not an issue of of making new laws. Um, it's just how we interpret and enforce the laws we already have. And the, the the law, the main law in question is the Sherman Act, which is the central piece of anti-monopoly, antitrust legislation that's been enacted in the United States. And in the 1970s, this guy named Robert Bork um, published a really influential paper called The Antitrust Paradox where basically he's arguing that if a company is lowering prices, it's good for consumers. And that's how we need to interpret antitrust law. And so basically it gives companies that offer lower prices than other companies a free pass to do whatever they want uh, because low prices are good for consumers. Um, And this guy named Ronald Reagan really fell in love with this idea. (laughs) And, you know, the rest is history. So... um, Amazon, and that's still how we interpret these laws today. And like Amazon, the government under this interpretation doesn't care about Amazon's labor rights violations, how they treat their workers, what they do to the communities where they have a large presence. Uh, There's a lot of of ways to measure whether a company does, whether it's good or bad. Um, Mm. But right now, the way antitrust law is interpreted is just based on low prices. And Amazon can say, we've lowered prices, we're good for the consumer. And like, that's the end of the story. Fortunately, there are a lot of really influential thinkers that are doing great work, like those authors, David Day and, and mm. um, uh, Matt Stuller. Um, their books are really interesting and important. Um, I, another important figure is Lena Khan, who wrote kind of a response to Robert Bork's paper called Amazon's Antitrust Paradox. Um, and, uh, that really changed the way a lot of people think about this. And we need to, these, that, that consumer welfare standard is not, it's, it's not equipped to handle companies this big or this powerful. And, yeah. you know, Lena Khan has been nominated for as commissioner for the FTC by Joe Biden. And that's a hugely influential and powerful position mm. if it goes through. Mm. And so I think that's a signal, a really hopeful signal from the administration that they're taking this seriously. And which is a, which I will note is a, a different tack from the Obama administration, um, which just mm. loved, um, you know, Barack Obama loved Amazon. Uh, Jay Carney, the former Obama press secretary, is now a spokesperson at Amazon. So that what? gives you an indication of yeah, uh, yeah. of how they felt about big tech. But I do think we're seeing some indication from the Biden administration that they're ready to take this on. That's amazing. Wow. Wow. That is that's hopeful. And I never knew that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I have my own issues with Barack Obama, but I digress about that. We can't get into that today. Right. Exactly. We don't have time for that. But um, Danny, I want to take a little bit of a, a departure. We're still talking about the book. But um, one of the things you really do in the book that I like is you tell um, stories. I mean, you're a storyteller, you're a poet at heart. Um, so there are stories wrapped into this book that I think are uh, both important and really interesting. And one of them that I think I, I, I don't want to give all the stories away in the book because I do want people to 
to go out and um, and purchase this book from Microcosm, of course. But one of the stories is really uh, lovely to me. The story about uh, Missy McCoy, the the co-owner of the former Paradise Cafe and Bakery, and um, her book that you guys sell there at the Raven. So I'm wondering if you could tell people a little bit about her creating this self-published book that seems to sell out all the time yeah. in your bookstore. <laughs> and what I think is really odd and, and, and probably could be inspirational for listeners is, you know, for people thinking about self-publishing or thinking about unplugging from Am- Amazon, this is the kind of story that I think um, people need to hear, right? You know what I'm saying? Is that I've n- I've never heard of someone who doesn't have a book who's not on Amazon who's selling, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of copies in a bookstore. So I think this story, um, the Paradise Cafe and Bakery Cookbook, is a really um, a story that sort of illuminates uh, what it the heart of the issues that you're sort of talking about. So would you mind like sort of talking about that a little bit? Yeah, not at all. I love talking about this book. Um, yeah. and I think this is a really important story and it's a, a demonstration of the quiet power of the independent yeah. bookstore. Yeah. So, um, there, there was a restaurant in Lawrence, downtown Lawrence called the paradise cafe uh, mm-hmm. that closed long before I got there to Lawrence. Mm-hmm. It closed, I think in 2008. Um, and I moved to Lawrence in 2014. So, but like the memory of this place lives on among a generation of, of Laurentians who have fond memories of it. And Missy McCoy, who is one of the, she was yep. the public facing owner of it. Um, she self-published a cookbook with all the recipes and some photos. Um, and we've sold more than a thousand copies of this book through the Raven in the last 10 years. Um, it is one of the two best selling books that at the Raven all time. That's amazing. Both of which are self-published <laughs> restaurant books. Um, <laughs> so, and, and both of which aren't available on Amazon or really anywhere else. Right. Um, and, um, we keep selling it. Um, it's hot. Missy, I told her it was when she found out that it was in the book and it was a Lawrence bestseller. She had little Lawrence bestseller stickers printed. <laughs> so you could put them on the cover of the book. I uh, love it. And I, I love just, it. I love it. Every bookstore has a book that's like this, that only mm. they sell. And it's mm. often something local um, or, or every, you know, every bookstore has this one weird thing that they do that only they do. And it's so important for community building. Like I think of um, Atomic Books in Baltimore, which yeah. is a, yeah, a great store. And they have that whole thing with um, with John Waters. Yeah. Um, you know, that's so cool. Um, I love, and, and not to mention their amazing selection of comics and kind of outsider lit. Um, it's a great place. And th- this is the kind of community building stuff that Amazon is not interested in. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, you can get almost all of the books at the Raven, except for the, the Paradise Cafe cookbook, you can get on Amazon. But what you can't get from Amazon is this, these kind of intangible community building things. Yeah. Which is super important, and that's why I wanted to include stories of it in the book, because I didn't want the book to be too preachy or alarming. Um, yeah. and people really respond to positive arguments a lot better. Um, mm. I, didn't, I didn't want to be a scold. I didn't want to shame people for their purchasing behaviors. Yeah. And so one strategy for that was to include these, these heartwarming stories about the small yeah. but powerful ways that independent bookstores build community. Yeah. 
Yeah, I yeah. think it's great. And like I said, it's amazing. And it also shows, I mean, I got to say, it's, it's a hustler spirit. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, even <laughs> you sitting at home on the table, stapling those zines together. I'm like, wow, you know, that that is inspirational just to think about someone who is dedicated to their, um, to, what, to whatever they want to get out in the world. You know what I mean? And I think you're right. Like I said, those are the things that um, sort of stand out. I mean, of course, all of the information was, like I said, a lot, a lot of it I did not know. But um, I think these stories really uh, sort of round the book out and really, uh, endear people to this to this book. Thanks. Yeah, I initially said no when they wanted me to turn it into a book. I was like, oh, it's, <laughs> yeah. all in, it's all in the zine. And, you know, I kind of want, I, I like the idea of doing nonfiction, but like, I was like, I really want my nonfiction book to be about how great bookstores are. Yeah. And so we just kind of negotiated and, and Joe Beale at Microcosm really wanted me and uh, which is great. I appreciate that. I love that. And he was like, well, let's do these little interludes. Let's let's include some of those. And I'm, I'm glad they're in there. That sounds like a great partnership. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's rad. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, Danny, you mentioned briefly Atomic and their thing with John Waters. For listeners who don't know, Atomic uh, Atomic Books here in Baltimore, in the Hamden neighborhood, they're like the the home of like... Uh, of John Waters in Baltimore. And so they handle all of his fan mail. Uh, and as such, it's sort of his bookstore too. He comes in there regularly. Like you can spot him in there, not infrequently. Um, I also want to shout him out. They're the ones who, who did my official book launch. Um, they're a block and a half away from me here in Baltimore. And so they did my book launch and, um, and supported that book in a whole bunch of ways. And they're just good, rad people there. Um, Real quick, before we move out of lit, Danny, I did want to shift a little bit. I wanted to talk about your poetry before we get out of here. Cool. Uh-oh. Yeah, um, happy to. Yeah, so. <laughs> Danny's like, I'm happy to. He's like, I've been talking about this pro stuff all, all podcast. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Well, I think it's great. Like I mentioned in that New Yorker, it, it mentions that, you know, you are a poet and you have an MFA, yep. not an MBA. And so. Yeah. Um, I think it's important we talk about that art and it's really interesting and good art. Um, I want to talk specifically because I think sometimes that someone can look at your poetry, which uses is really rich with uh, pop culture reference and people can be like, oh, yuck, yuck, Guy Fieri poems. But I think there's something <laughs> else going on, too, in that, like, um, I think of songs like or uh, poems like Song of My Suburbs, mm-hmm. which opens with like pour one out to Blockbuster, but also includes <laughs> this very intimate and nostalgic moment within it or the poem in the bathroom of the Renaissance downtown, which opens with a quote from like one of the most celebrated contemporary poetry scholars and includes the line, um, fuck the politics of pissing downtown where bathrooms are reserved for paying customers. Um, so like I've heard people talk about like, I want to make my poems accessible, but it seems like something else is happening here in your poetry. It almost feels like you're like Trojan horsing, intimacy and interesting political ideas in these poems. And so I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that, both your intentions, but also just what comes out of the poems. I love that. That's a really generous read. Um, Thank Mm. you. So I um, the accessibility question is so loaded um, Mm. and there's been so much great work written about it. that it's I encourage people to listen to anyone else other than me but I do (laughs) but generally what I go for in poetry and how it sounds is I want it to have uh, a strong relationship with with speech with language as it's spoken and like I want it to have a very strong sense of voice Um, and and the trick I'm always working to pull off is is a poem that kind of goes down easy but actually has a lot of um, 
I put a tremendous amount of effort into sound and rhythm um, mm-hmm. while trying to maintain a kind of an easygoing speech feel. So like the mechanics of the voice, that's how I approach it and how I think about it. And, and I think that kind of poem is fun to read. And like that's in, in the, the heroes, my hero. I mean, like Frank O'Hara is the king of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, yeah, definitely. Uh, so that's where that's the poems I like to read the most. And so, you know, that's what. Um, I try to do in my work. Um, but like, it's funny, the poetry and the Amazon book are really kind of two ways to get at the same obsession of mine, which is just how people uh, live and eat and fall in love and form identities in a world that's too mm. controlled by corporations. And like, this is yeah. a, this is a yeah. capitalist world. This is a world where corporations have too much power. And yet the, the human instinct is to still try to find meaning among all of that. Uh, and that's my general, that's the obsession that will never leave me. Every writer has one obsession at the heart of what they do that never really changes. And that's how I articulate mine. Uh, I think that how to resist Amazon and why is a very explicit political, uh, action-based mm-hmm. look at that. Um, but poetry lets you dance around it in an interesting way and try on characters and approach it with humor and voice. Um, and so especially that first trilogy of poetry books, um, that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out. Uh, but I love the idea of Trojan horsing, um, you know, but it's like poetry. You can do a lot of things at once with a poem and, and you can you can sneak humor into an otherwise sad poem or you can yep. sneak politics into an otherwise straightforward poem. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of duality or even like triple meaning or quadruple meaning is really appealing to me especially because you can do it in such a short space. So welcome back to the pop portion of Lit Pop Bang. Thanks for joining us. Danny stepped away for a second. He'll be back for us with the bang portion. For sure. Yes. But in meanwhile, we have a little pop culture information to uh, talk about today. Yeah, we always always are excited, but we're starting off on a kind of low note. Um, We have to say uh, rest in peace to DMX. Just got the news. Um, He was in a hospital for uh, some days in White Plains, New York, Um, but he passed away, died at um, age 50. Uh, His real DMX's real name is Earl Simmons. Um, You know what we know. I mean, uh, DMX has had a pretty interesting overall uh, rap career, and I know uh, Anthony's going to chime in a little bit but uh you know some background um about him you know i've i sort of really particularly remember him from both the album and the movie but uh the first album was called it's dark and hell is hot and hell is in, hot yeah right exactly in 1998 but i also remember him in the movie belly right you know oh my god um, yes yeah 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 so you know these the, the this is sort of like late 90s early aughts is where um you know dmx really gained his popularity but he also was like a really devout christian you know what i'm saying and um you know but str- Struggled with um, some drug addiction on and off in his life, which I think um, many people feel very um, sad about. And especially because the beginning of his um, drug uh, intake happened, um, he was introduced to it by a mentor. So I think, you know, um, we're sad to hear about his passing, but um, he has left us with some um, really great work, I think. Yeah. yeah, What what do you feel about DMX? Yeah. You know, um, you know, like I know you're a bit older than me, but I'm I'm sort of of the same impression 
passion of DMX, not much of his later stuff, but that late 90s stuff. Of course, right. really stuff I was really, really into. So yeah. loved Belly, used to quote from Belly all the time. Wow, um, wow. <laughs> okay. We born to die. In the meantime, oh, get oh, money. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> all, all right. I don't <laughs> Yeah, I was um, like, you know, you got to consider too, like this is when I was a teenager, so uh, I was yeah. really into the the... The fast hard life that Belly depicted. Oh my god, um, I can't. I can't. Yeah, you. you know, eighteen year olds are. Um, no, no, no. I, I, no, I was not like. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm also a girl. You know. I mean, yeah, you gotta. Yeah. You gotta. Eighteen year olds are socialized as boys and men for sure. It's right. Exactly. You know, in that way, I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, like minister society and like yeah. you know boys in the hood. You know, and all. It's like kind of like I'm like oh, okay. You know. You went into those films. I mean, I I love them for. I mean, I'm. I love them for movies. Do you understand yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah, saying? But yeah. into them, like, no, I didn't have any, I mean, other than being African-American, you know what I mean? I didn't yeah. have any, those are very male. It was very, they feel very male hetero <laughs> to and, me. Uh, and they're all the type of films that like young dudes uh, read in the wrong way. Right. Right. They're like, <laughs> Probably. right. And so, so it's hard, you know, I mean, it, it, again, I'm not saying that I didn't like, and they, 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 they created some of our bigger stars, you know, if we really yeah. think back, you know, those movies were formational um, for so many reasons. Right. You know what I'm saying? But as far as my own personal connection, like, no, I was sitting at home being like, you know, why, why is Lorenz Tate, in, you know, in a, in a wheelchair cursing at somebody, you know what I'm saying? Or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like what is yeah, going yeah. on, you know, but, um, but yes, I mean, so DMX comes from that, um, that era, you know, belly comes from sort of that era of, of, of black movies, African-American yeah. movies. Yeah. So you yeah, liked but, it. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I love that film. Um, I also was really into those first two albums. I loved, um, yeah, I mean, these, yeah, these, yeah. these are hugely formational on, on hip hop. Yeah. And oh, rap. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for, for sure. Sort of that era and the music coming out of it just really yep. redefined rap. Um, yeah. Um, I love Rough Riders Anthem and Party Up, yep. but also, you know, uh, X Gonna Give It To You, uh, Where The Hood At. Those are like, these are like, I think, like Classics. history of rap songs, right? Songs Classics. that, yeah, for sure. For and sure. I mean, I feel like, you know, like, again, like I said, really formational, if we think about the history kind of of rap, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the earlier 90s, the earlier 90s are when we were getting like Tupac and Biggie, right? And so yeah. they were sort of like the, the, fa- the, cinder block the beginning cinder block right you know what i'm saying and then these other by the time we got to the late 90s and early aughts you know um rap was really developing into its own i think dmx was hugely influential on that yeah and you have that genre that that era of rap that is influenced by the the early 90s rap oh yeah of course the violence associated with it but also like the governmental response associated with it too and yeah um, this era and DMX particularly responding all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to, I definitely used to have me- lyrics to a lot of these songs memorized. That's yep, nope. the sort of kid I was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, nope. I'm lying. <laughs> speaking I mean, of deaths though, speaking of deaths, yes. um, we also got today news today yep. um, that Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh has passed away at 99 years wow. old. I mean, I didn't know who even knew he was that old. Wow. Yeah. A million years old. So for those who don't follow the Royal family, this is yes. the queen's husband. Yes. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, uh, he's been struggling the last couple of years. He's obviously very old, um, and been struggling the last few years. I mean, just got news from day and getting a whole bunch of tributes to him today. Um, yeah. but also a lot of, you know, one of the, the things with both of these people is, uh, when you get to being a retrospective, you also have to look back on the uglier parts of their life and their legacy. And I think 
um, the legacy of colonialism um, and the legacy Ooh. of Prince Philip's family um, are, are part of that conversation. And so uh, real, real, uh, I mean, real I think with DMX too, see, that's yeah, what I sure, didn't talk. Exactly, sure. I like, think, you know, I mean, part um, of the conversation is, you know, his arrests and convictions and yeah. I mean, you know, there are a lot of, lot of stuff, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of stuff, very complex mm-hmm. figure. Yeah, who both yeah. are, but also what they mean, good and bad, to yep. everybody. Yeah, for sure. Yep. A little bit of everything. Uh, let's lighten it up just a little bit. Yes. Um, let's transition you know, out of death. Yes. Yeah, I have some nerd stuff to talk about. Oh, love it, um, love it. Uh, Elon Musk, who oh. I think I've said on the show before, I don't like. Right. Um, I, I just don't like billionaires is the thing. Um, well, I don't know him personally, but I don't have no love for him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but two things today I saw from Elon yeah. Musk companies. One, he is a, an owner of uh, Neuralink, which is a company that is developing artificial intelligence powered technologies mm. um, in particular. And I'm not making this up. It sounds like sci fi stuff. They are re- doing research on microchips in the brain. Mm. Um, and so they released a video as we're recording this um, that show a macaque monkey using that technology a microchip in its brain wow to play the video game pong so not I'm using afraid. a controller using the implant in its brain to move the things on screen super um, scary yeah um, i mean yeah so the company says that the monkey whose name is pager had uh-huh. a chip implanted in his uh. brain six weeks ago in the video he's given a joystick hooked up to a video game that he moves he moves like the video game to a colored square. Um, and then when he is successful, he gets banana smoothie fed to him through a little feeding tube. Mm. Uh, ethically creepy as hell yep. both for the monkey, but also for, you know, the vision of what this brain microchip research could be. Um, real creepy, creepy stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess... It? I'm worried about it more than yeah. hating it. I'm worried about it. You know what I mean? This guy kind of goes back to our conversation uh, with Danny. I'm, I'm worried for the future, <laughs> for future human beings about this. You know what I'm saying? It makes yeah. me, it makes me worry for this yeah. kind of technology. Yeah. It really like, like a lot of stuff Elon Musk does. It really just like reminds me that like people always, a lot of people talk as though Elon Musk is this genius, this, this great person. And all he really is, is someone with a bunch of money who is like putting forward ideas that like high schoolers have like, Oh, what if we can move things with our brain? Yeah. What if we had underground railroads, but they were just cars. Um, you know, what if we had these super flamethrowers or these ridiculous electric trucks? Um, yeah. None of it's genius. It's all just those ideas, but with enough money behind them to try yeah. them out. It's ridiculous. Scary. Um, yeah. Super the other scary. thing is, is he um, also today, for some reason, along with his monkey stuff, released this video <laughs> of, um, you know, he owns this company. I mentioned the underground train thing. He wants to build basically... Um, like metro systems, but instead of rails with mass transit mm-hmm. for individual transit, for like individual electric cars to move underground. This seems um, silly. Yeah. So ridiculous. Not efficient in any way. And I mean, um, don't don't we want to like uh, build up our own uh, infra- transportation infrastructure as opposed to, to, to spend money on something like this? Right. I mean, this, I mean, what about that? 
Yeah, what it's about ridiculous. that? It's what I'm talking about, right? Like, it's not a brilliant idea. It's a ridiculous idea that that doesn't see that like the future of transportation has to be mass transit, right? Based yeah. on a population boom. Yeah, and he's trying to just throw money at old ideas or old technologies. But yeah. this video is ridiculous. It's just debuting like this successful tunnel he's built, and it's a Tesla moving very very slowly through this tunnel that's underneath the las vegas convention center i can't it's uninteresting it's uninspiring it's people are literally laughing at it on the internet Mm. um it's i know i'm a hater here for disliking him so much but it's it's just ridiculous you might be but also at the same time (laughs) you might be i'm just gonna be honest about that you might be but at the same time i also think it's i do also think it's ridiculous i'm just like why are we so interested in this why are we why would we spend what are we doing you yeah. know what I'm saying? He always yeah. comes up with these crazy, you know, going to a spaceship to Mars or whatever was going on. I can't. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't like him. That's all. But maybe I just don't like billionaires generally. But one person who I do like, who is a multimillionaire, um, you had news about uh, yes. basically <laughs> That's the a good transition of Elon Musk. That's a good transition. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> one of our actually a favorite person, not all, all time favorite, but a favorite person of mine and also a favorite person of a previous podcast guest of ours. Jamie Fountaine loves the individual I'm getting ready to talk about. Dolly Parton has a new ice cream flavor coming out. Um, she has teamed up with, with an Ohio-based company called Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams to create a, a flavor called Strawberry Pretzel Pie. I love even saying oh, it. Shit, it that sounds, sounds so it, good. Okay, that's what, <laughs> okay. I was like, yes, right now in my mouth. Yes, I would like it. I was like, strawberry pretzel pie. Um, and I just think this is amazing. Um, the brand, uh, you know, Dolly Parton is 75 years old. Uh, everybody should know who she is. She's a country music singer. She's been around for forever. She also um, has given money to every philanthropic cause, I think. She even gave money t- towards COVID vaccines, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Or one something. of the big vaccines is funded by a huge grant. Yeah, I think it's her. Moderna. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. Right. And so, I mean, this is not surprising, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you that the brand... Um, um, they announced this collaboration in March. I think the ice cream is out now. And they said that the ice cream would benefit Imagination Library, which is Dolly Parton's book gifting program, which offers yeah. free books to kids to up to five years old. I mean, what? They're going to, the, the, the ice cream is going to give proceeds to Imagination Library for kids up to five to have books? I mean, I Dolly it. Parton, I love, I love you. It. Yeah, this is I what mean, I'm you saying. Know what I mean? She is the opposite of Elon Musk. He's like, let yeah. me throw my money at ridiculous stuff. And she's like, exactly. what if I gave kids books and funded COVID vaccines? And like, made a delicious ice cream. Yeah, you know what? I, the truth is, I would buy this ice cream. I'm also a big Dolly Parton fan, and I would buy yeah. this ice cream regardless. Exactly, right. Um, but Truly that would. flavor legit sounds amazing. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you know, Dolly, I mean, I, I'm just going to say it again. We love you. We love everything you do. If you ever want to come on lip pop bang contact us contact us girl we should just have these big swings in every episode who's our our big swing this this month it's dolly yeah maybe our (laughs) listeners can help us out hook us up and help us out if you can connect us to dolly if she wants to be on a literary podcast yeah um we'd love that awesome (laughs) well we can do close readings of our favorite of her songs 
Um, um, no, I don't want to do. I don't no, want to do a clip. I, would no. do, I love it. I'm, you know, I'm teaching. No. I'm teaching song in my in one of my oh, courses. Oh, this is this well, of course it's related to something. And you, of maybe course. maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll do one of Dolly songs. Well, that Scratch would that, that that if you do it, here's what I will say. I don't want to do the close reading, but if you do it, maybe it will lure her onto the show. So I'm here <laughs> for it. Here for it. All right, we do love Dolly. We do dislike Musk. Hey, uh, let's is let's uh, let's wrap up here and head over to Bang. What do you think about that? That's it. Great. We'll we'll see you over at Bang, where Danny will be back with us, ready to go. And we're back with the bang portion of the podcast. Danny is. is back with us for this. I've got one for us today, guys. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Excited. Um, you all know that I'm a fan of professional wrestling. Um, but beyond that, I was just thinking recently about professional wrestling, uh, mixed martial arts fighters, but also baseball players, how they all have like entrance music and walk on music. And a dream I've always had is that this would be a normal convention of like the poetry reading or of like the lit panel. This would and be so, so ridiculous. This would be, this would be, I'm just going to say this would be so, so crazy if it actually happened, but go ahead. Sure, it would be. Of course it would be. But I think, you know, no more ridiculous than the lit panel or the poetry reading in general, right? Um, a bit more spectacle. Uh, yes, right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead. so I just want to hear what, what would you do? What would your what would your entrance music be? What would your walkout music be if you had walkout music um, for a poetry reading? Or yeah, for a so lit, I will... I'll go first. Do I will it. Go easily, ahead, yeah. yeah, because it came to mind so simply, so quickly. It's Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J. Oh, That's going it. A, going very old school. Very yeah. old school. The, and, Why and, that? Why that? And because it just, I don't know, it's one of those old, I don't know, rap songs that feel like, I don't know, very powerful, very, um, it, it, it has just this energy that's like, almost like a, a, a boxer fighter i'm not into fight as you know you watch wrestling and stuff i'm not into like fight. i'm a real girl like that like i'm not into <laughs> anything of that but this seems like if we're gonna do it right you know what i mean then we have to have something that is um i don't know aggressive and and i don't know i don't know you know just ll cool j and ll cool j actually isn't even one of my like all-time favorite rappers. I mean, I lean much more towards Tribe Called Quest or something, you know, very mm -hmm. uh, much more conscious, conscious rap, right? But I mean, hey, if if you're going to bring me out to something and I'm going to try to get everybody hype, LL Cool J is where I'm going. I don't know. That's great. Do you, do you like, let me ask you this, do you like LL's like... Uh, R&B smooth duet stuff that he has. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I like, yeah. uh, I need love. Like, you know, you know, you know, when I'm alone in my room, I hear my conscience call, you know, like I like, I like that. I like that sort of R&B soft kind of uh, rap, but you know, not so much the harder sort of stuff, but I just yeah. feel like yeah. if I'm going to come out, um, I need to come out like a boxer with a silk robe on and a really badass song, right? So that <laughs> Mama Said Knock You Out feels like a badass song. Wonderful. I love it. What about you, Danny? What's your entrance music? This is, it, uh, I have, I'm think my thinking is going in a couple different ways. I don't know. Like, I would hate to have too big of an entrance and then disappoint people with the poem. <laughs> no, no, like it you doesn't. Have meet, you no, have to match the vibe. No, it, it doesn't matter. I think, Danny, you go big or go home. You know what I'm well, saying? So this, I have two. I, I tweeted a joke the other day that okay. I thought it would be really funny if a baseball player walked out to the song Lake Marie by John Prine, oh. which is this, it's basically a poem. It's really yeah. this kind of sensitive and aching song about falling in love and it's absolutely yeah. gorgeous.
gorgeous. And I told it would totally screw with your opponents. Because like people are expecting, <laughs> you know, the the rap or, yeah. or something with loud guitars, right. and I right. think it might be a way to actually psych or like something like "Such Great Heights" by the Postal Service could really psych out that pitcher, maybe yeah. leaving a fastball over the plate. Oh, you're going, like, you're going with the psychology of it. Yeah, if I you're could okay. Pull, if I could really pull it off, and I could do it with like lights and a fog machine, and if we were a really doing this, fog machine. That's how you do it. You got to maybe maybe next entrance. time I come to Baltimore, we can set up a reading that'll do this. Yeah, oh, yes. there we go. Very yes, love it. I would, love it. and like maybe even an elevator that comes from the floor, so I just appear out of the <laughs> wow, fog. Wow, Danny, you have wow. You thought of this? You've yeah, thought, like sign. Undertaker or Alistair Black. Right, exactly. Uh, Let's go crazy by Prince. Love it. Love it. Love it. That that spoken intro, and everyone's like, Where is he? I don't know. What's (laughs) going on? Why are all the lights on? I think you could do it really uh, well. Through the fog. And then just quietly read poems as the fog dissipates. I love it. I love it. Prince is one of my all time favorite artists. So I love it. I love it. Cool. I think mine would have to be something from a musical. Um, I think musicals are, are are uniquely suited for this sort of thing. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd probably go with Hedwig, and there's a um, there's a track from Hedwig from the soundtrack that's not a song that Hedwig sings in the movie. It's only playing in the background called oh. Freaks. I don't um, know. It is a wonderful song. It is a B-side, so it'd give me right. uh, hipster cred, um, and it'd be perfect for for my work and for reading poetry. So, so because I don't know the song, uh, can you like, I don't, can you, can you hum it? Can you, what is that? Uh, I mean, yeah, what the is, lyrics are, is we it? are freaks. We follow the code of freaks. Um, <laughs> we stand back, we bash back. Um, we fuck who we please and see who we choose. Um, it's pretty great. It's wonderful. It's, uh, and it's, the music is, is, is the music slow or fast? Like, is it, um, is it, so I don't know if you've seen Hedwig, but you know, the, one of the things that Hedwig is, it's like a tour of the history of rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so as you progress to the movie, you, you get different genres of rock. Right. Um, right. And so that's actually from like, um, I think from like hair rock is the, the generation oh, which it references. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Like okay. 80s hair rocks. Like yeah. we are freaks. We follow the code of freaks. Okay. Um, that's okay. Yeah. That's kind of hair rock. I like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now. Okay. Okay. Now you're speaking my language. But I think in keeping with spectacle, generally any hair rock song would do, despite the fact that it's not really my aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, I love hair rock too. I mean, I, that I live, doesn't surprise I, me at all. I live for eighties hair rock, live for it. I mean, you know, tack, it's like bubble yum, right? You know, it's, it's so sweet and tastes good. And then you spit it out, but it's amazing. It's amazing when you're chewing it. <laughs> <laughs> all I mean, right, y'all, before we go, Danny, thank you so much for joining us. If people want to find you on the internet, where do they find you on the internet? Yeah. Well, the the good tweets are at Raven Bookstore, uh, and the jokes and personal stuff are at Mr. Kane, C A I N E, uh, and the the bookstore is RavenBookstore.com. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. Yo, so yeah. Oh yeah, and, and Danny, also, can you give? Uh, do you know Microcosm's uh, website for how to resist Amazon and why? Do you do you know them by heart? Their their website MicrocosmPublishing.com. Awesome. And again, That's what we love. Uh, great folks doing really cool work. They have a ton of other great books. Um, so they're, they're really worth checking out cause they're doing cool stuff. Awesome. 
Awesome. We'll make sure thank that you, it's Danny. all in the show notes. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And, and you know, uh, you can come back anytime. We say that wink, 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 because we know uh, <laughs> you have some new projects in the churn. So who knows? We may see you again near in the nearby future here at Lip Pop Bang. Well, hey, listeners, thank you as well as always for joining us. As always, you can find us on social media, yep. on Insta and Twitter. Tweet at us. Pop Bang. Yep. Yeah, tweet us, like help us, us, follow help us. us. Help us get Dolly Parton on the show. <laughs> yeah. Review <laughs> us. Give us a thumbs up, star, whatever. Review us wherever you listen to us. Always yep. helpful. Helps yep. get the word out there. We love you when you do that. Yeah, so make sure you respond to us on these social media streets. We need your love. And we love your love. It makes us feel it. heard. It yeah, makes us ex- feel cared for. I mean, we we split the tweeting, you know, a little you, a little me, mostly you sometimes. But we but we both love to see um, when you're retweeting us and showing us love. Yeah, we do. We do. We, we love engagement with y'all. And it certainly helps. And we appreciate it. Hey, hey, that's it. That's the episode. Yeah, See we're you done. back in a few weeks. We got a whole bunch of great guests lined up this season. Yeah, we're um, excited. So as always, coming to you out of Baltimore, I'm Anthony. I'm Cece. And this has been Lit Pop Bang. <laughs>